Welcome to episode 179 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Today, I'm going to be talking to Peter White, CEO and co-founder of Rethink Technology Research in the UK. And they have just released a report that I find very, very interesting. It's geothermal forecast to 2050. Now, uh, uh, Energy Talks, uh, energy media viewers and readers and listeners uh, will know that we've uh, done a couple of interviews with uh, Ever Technologies out of Calgary. That's got a big, well, their first real commercial project going on in Germany. So we'll talk about that with Peter. But I'm also really interested to talk to him about something that uh, I've been wondering about for a long time, and that is, can big oil, and particularly the drilling companies and the, the oil and gas service companies, transition into geothermal and scale it up rather rapidly? So, Peter, with that bit of an introduction, welcome to the uh, to Energy Talks. Uh, Mark, nice, it's nice to be here again. The last time I was here... I seem to remember um, you were shocked uh, when I said that the uh, natural gas price would return to normal before the end of 2023, uh, as we were the only analysts saying it, and uh, I think um, we can claim that we won that one. Let's give you that victory. <laughs> Happy to do it. Happy yeah. to do it. And right. and uh, we'll have to have you back, actually, to talk about natural gas in Europe uh, and LNG, because that's a hot topic in Canada right at the moment, but today it's geothermal. And since you've uh, released a report, Peter, let's start with uh, just a brief overview of the report, if you don't mind. Okay, so we're pretty confident about a lot of our reports um, in a lot of detail because there's large scale manufacturing all over the world for something like solar or wind and the project timelines for wind are strong. This is a bit more of a punt in the dark. You know, geothermal is, um, is not uh, truly economic on a wide scale. It's only economic in very, uh, in less than 1% of the Earth's surface where you can, where the temperature um, uh, increase as you go deep uh, happens more rapidly. Um, we, you, Your listeners may have heard of the Ring of Fire, which is the uh, volcanoes that uh, are around the uh, Pacific and the, uh, the American uh, West Coast. Um, in those territories, it, it tends to be where where geothermal has happened in the past. Um, what we've noticed, talking to people um, like Fervor and uh, Evo, and talking to people like Quays, who, who, who is pioneering a drilling technology, and Vulcan, who's is combining the revenues of geothermal with uh, collecting lithium, um, you see that there's a, a kind of spirit in the marketplace at the moment that's effectively saying we can do this anywhere and and as a result the designs are changing uh, some of them are coming to the end of their proving period and their pilots and they there is commercial activity going to start in the background uh, probably not this year next year but per, but perhaps from 2025 onwards well let's talk about the different uh, systems because um your report makes clear that the closed loop system appears to be to hold the most potential. And that's, of course, the ever technology approach to this. And essentially what they do is they drill two uh, well bores and then they link up at the bottom where they get to whether they're, uh, you know, a kilometer down or uh, whatever depth they go to. 
And then in Evro's case, they used some technology that came out of the uh, Alberta oil sands, uh, their steam-assisted gravity drainage uh, approach to extracting bitumen. And they put laterals, laterals out. It's almost like a big radiator down at the bottom of these two, two wells. And then they circulate water through it. And as the, the uh, uh, pipes heat up because of their proximity to the hot rock, the water heats up and then it circulates and you bring the, the water back up, the hot water back up to the top and you can use it either for district heating or you can run it through an ORC, an organic Rankin cycle uh, uh, technology and create electricity. That's their approach. Is that the basic approach that other companies are using as well, Peter? They're all different. Um, you know, you, you seem to know a lot about the technology. You could have done this uh, without me, I think. Um, the, um, the, the, there's a number of factors. One, is there water down there? Um, you know, is, is, is this dry hot rocks, hot rocks or is there an aquifer? Um, two, is there, um, um, is there uh, an, enough um, permeability in the rock for water to move around and, and heat up? And is there a large enough surface area uh, for the, because um, effectively it's got to come into contact with hot rocks to heat, heat water. Um, yeah, the idea of a radiator, I'm not going to say that the closed loop system uh, of EVA is, is uh, a design that's going to win, but it's certainly got a lot of the ingredients, but further would argue with you and say, well, we effectively um, do fractures um, to create um, space for water uh, down below. We then intercept those fractures and effectively without having quite such precise drilling techniques, we've created the same thing and they will call it closely. Um, other people will do a, a pipe inside another pipe system and, uh, and they will call that uh, a closed loop. Um, you, if you talk to Eva, they'll argue and say it isn't. Um, but effectively, what we're trying to do is the same. We're trying to drill anywhere. We're trying to drill uh, to uh, um, at something like $400 per meter um, down. We're trying to get a 200-degree um, a difference between the top and the bottom, and we're trying to do it economically. Um, and we're trying to do have the water uh, swilling about at the bottom um, re recycled from the top and heated up. Uh, the, 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 the Probably the best part of the EVA technology is what you described, is that they call it a thermosiphon, which is that they don't have to pump the water back up so they're saving energy. They're not wasting energy or using energy in, in creating the cycle of the water movement. Now, one of the points that the, uh, the Ever folks made to me uh, was that uh, Europe is ideally positioned. And a lot of this it has to do with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and then cutting off natural gas supplies and the energy insecurity problems that that created in Europe. And Europe responded with the re-energy uh, re EU strategy, basically energy efficiency, diversification of supplies, but mostly electrification as speeding up electrification so a lot of the, the attention for that strategy has been on renewables particularly offshore wind but Eva thinks that they can make geothermal part of, of that strategy and that's why they went to germany first because i think there's a 
250 euro subsidy that they get in addition to the commercial terms of of the project and they're doing it uh just outside of munich if i remember correctly and so the the, the economics obviously work really well there and europe wants to ramp up any kind of technology clean energy clean electricity technology it can get its hands on it at the moment so either uh, looks like it's ideally positioned to do that um it is are we seeing a lot of interest in other parts of europe uh you know in the different approaches to geothermal okay so germany is a very special case in point everyone's headed towards germany there's similar uh, experiments going on in france there's similar uh, there are one or two others but um, germany is very important and, and in the german ethos they've got uh, an issue uh, particularly with nuclear um nuclear power And they want to, um, I mean, the politics at the moment is that Germany would like to ban nuclear power and not count it as green. France, however, runs on nuclear power and can't, can't afford to do that. Um, so it, it, it takes a different view. Um, the UK sits somewhere in the middle. Uh, Italy doesn't have any uh, nuclear. Um, Spain is, is really a hotbed of, of solar. So they're the, the large countries in, in Europe. Um, Germany has this love affair uh, As you go north in uh, in Europe, the northern half of Europe runs its uh, heating systems for buildings, for large buildings and uh, groups of, uh, say, shops and uh, uh, campuses um, on district heat, uh, which, which is effectively um, just um, blowing hot air from industrial processes or um, burning fossil fuels. And when the uh, when the, the, they suddenly wanted to have less uh, Russian gas in the system, and Germany was very reliant uh, for home heating, especially on Russian gas, they kind of said, well, this is a really big issue. We, we're not able to get our district heat systems off, off of fossil fuels. You know, they, they were in, in the process of going from coal to gas. Um, so when the numbers started to add up, Um, for, for geothermal, effectively it being cheaper, certainly than the high gas prices of a year ago. Um, there, there was a lot of enthusiasm from the, all the municipalities. And the, now the phone rings all the time. There's maybe five German uh, drilling um, geothermal drills going on at the moment or planned. Um, and that's more than there's that, uh, that I've ever come across. So, so I think, I think, yes, it's a very special point in time. One of the things you've got to do, we always preach this about every technology, is they're all on learning curves. You know, solar panels really were not cheaper than coal 20 years ago. They were much more expensive. If they hadn't had subsidies, they wouldn't have survived. But once they get to a lower price, then they win hands down. And it's the same with wind. And, and we believe the same is happening with geothermal right now and it's mostly driven by the energy insecurity of germany france northern europe well let's talk about learning curves because and and that uh, brings us to big oil and big uh, the big uh, service companies that do a lot of the drilling around the world um 
the point that ever made in my tech interview with them was that they have, uh, you know, Alberta produces about 4 million barrels of oil a day uh, and about 10 billion cubic feet of uh, gas a day. I mean, there's lots and lots of drilling expertise around there. There's lots and lots of, uh, well, I mean, there are companies that make the, the drilling rigs. Uh, so it's a very sophisticated uh, cluster of of technology and expertise and skilled labor. And so that kind of plays well for, for uh, forever. Uh, so, you know, the question you raised in your report, and I hadn't thought about this before, is that the, the conditions are ripe for these big service companies to pile into this space. If there's money to be made here, and one of the issues, this has been an ongoing issue for a long time, uh, for European uh, oil and gas majors, you know, like BP, for instance, 20 years ago was beyond petroleum, but it couldn't figure out how to make a, a decent return for its investors. And it's, yeah, oil companies have all still got that problem. I mean, they, right. oil has been so profitable and gas even more so that, that, that it's very difficult for them to embrace other technologies. Exactly. And they're, but they're always looking for those things that are related industries like uh, clean energy that they could scale up. And geothermal looks like, particularly uh, the, the, the Ever technology model, uh, because it's so focused on drilling uh, and related technologies, that this might be the thing that those companies can really seize on, bring their expertise, bring their, their skill at working on big projects, bring all of their capital, everything to, to, to bear on this, and really, really scale it up in a hurry. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think the way companies like that scale things up is they do a project. And if it works, and if the numbers add up, they do a, they, they do two projects. And if that works and the numbers add up, they do four projects. And then more and more people get experience with which parts of the system are working, uh, some, in, some efficiencies, some inefficiencies get pushed out of the system, and then they... And then they start looking at everything on its merits going forwards. What they've got here are companies who will go around and qualify all these projects um, against their system. So even if it's not um, the closed loop system, even if it's more of a fracking approach, even if it's a pipe in pipe system, if the mechanics add up to a return on investment that makes sense doing, and it's the second or third time you've done it, you can find investors, um, the oil companies themselves will invest. In a way, that is part of the uh, the driver. I, I think you've also got to look at how idle drills are at any point in time. And you've got to look at the capex that oil companies are spending. Now, in the Middle East, you can't get a, a, a drill for love nor money right now. Um, everyone's still um, exploring and everyone's still uh, uh, building uh, production wells. Um, in in Europe, there aren't that many drills, um, but, they're, but they're idle. Uh, in America, there are plenty of drills. Um, and it all depends. We're talking land drills, and we're talking anything beyond four kilometers depth. Um, so four to eight to nine uh, kind of kilometers depth, which is pretty much where these are all going to about 6.5 kilometers, as far as I can see. Um, the, um, the availability of these drills really will affect the pricing that they, they drill for. You know, we, we've got a team, we've got a rig, we've got the drills, we will drill for this much. 
this much is a fixed price, this much we can haggle about on. Um, and that depends on how much demand there is in the market. Now, there was a lot of demand in the market. Uh, in, the, um, in, the, in the Russian war, um, everyone was opening up new facilities. Um, then suddenly OPEC cut production. Then it cut it again. And so anything, any drills that were not um, contracted at that point, suddenly they're growing cobwebs. Um, and that's, that's really uh, the situation we're in right now. Suddenly the, the, the pressure's come off. There was a, a very rich vein. In some parts of the world, it's still there. But um, what, what I think we've got to look at medium term is, and the graph I love the most, is looking at a graph of how many new electric vehicles are there each year in each country. And you take the top 20 countries in the world in terms of vehicle um, concentrations, and you see that America is actually a laggard. Um, and that's partly due to the uh, emphasis on the public, Republican uh, uh, presidential uh, candidate last time, or uh, the president last time, who didn't want to see investment in electric vehicles and, and wasn't applauding it. Um, you, um, but you look around the rest of the world and you see that it accelerating at roughly 5% of total sales per year more than the previous year. Europe's up to 20, 25% in Germany, France, UK, you know, most of those countries. Um, we, we're starting to see getting considerable number of, of, it's easy to plot when there's less oil required for transport. And once you plot that number, you, you know, you're going to see, um, you're, you're going to see things. Yeah. Okay. So the, the the takeaway here, I think, is, is the, that the world is electrifying faster than we thought, driven primarily by transportation, uh, and because it's not it's not just electric cars or, or trucks, it's it's also buses, uh, transit systems. It's uh, we're now seeing uh, medium uh, duty vehicles like van delivery vans, that sort of thing. And there's actually, and it seems like every week brings new progress on the, uh, on the, the big heavy duty trucks, the, the trucks, you know, long haul, uh, trucking, that, that, that sort of thing. So the, uh, the utilities I know in North America are projecting at least, you know, two or 3% uh, load growth per year, which is something that we haven't seen since the, the big financial, uh, collapse in 2007, 2008. They're back to the low growth in 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 uh, North America was flat from then yes. until until now, and now they're forecasting growth again. So that it's that's a pretty good indicator that the electrification is having having an effect. We expect that to accelerate uh, this decade and and next. And the question that gets asked a lot is, you know, where is all that electricity going to come from? Not everybody has lots of sun. Not everybody, uh, you know, every country has uh, plenty of wind. And geothermal seems like it's a nice niche technology that can fit in there, fill in the gaps. It's on demand. It's a dispatchable kind of electricity. And uh, I can see why policymakers would uh, would really be interested in it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's expensive at the moment. It's probably $150 per megawatt hour as, as we sit. Um, it's probably on course for falling to 75 in, in a short period of time, maybe 10 years. Um, we, we, we operate a nuclear, in uh, nuclear operates in that price zone, um, certainly, and um, that people, it, it, 
nuclear is very unpredictable to build out. Um, we have many examples in Europe where there's 10-year delay on a new nuclear project because of uh, they need to be safe. So, yeah, definitely there, there, there's, um, there's need for a dispatchable element in the mix. Everybody in geothermal talks about supporting the, the solar and wind intermittency. Um, it's interesting. You can actually use um, geothermal as a storage uh, platform. Basically, if you slow it down, you slow down the, uh, uh, the movement of the water, um, you end up, it comes up hotter. You know, if it's down there longer, it comes up hotter so that, that, that you can get more energy from it. But right now, electricity from, from that is not economic. Uh, it probably won't be for several more years. But heat is. That's why the European opportunity is so important. If you want to provide it as heat, you replace um, heat and power, um, which is all fossil fuels. So, so that's, that's why it's suddenly going to have an acceleration. And that will make it, it, that will take it through its learning curve, make it economic. Right. Well, let's talk about the the growth you expect in the industry. You're talking about uh, pushing to over a gigawatt uh, of, uh, is it a gigawatt of, of generating capacity in the next three years? So whenever, ever, all the numbers in that report are, are, are gigawatt uh, thermal. You know, the, 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 it's, gig, it's, not, it's not gigawatt of electricity. Um, but, you know, so that's, we're looking at, um, if you look at the numbers averaged all around the world in the last three or four years, it's uh, somewhere over 400 megawatts. And so, yes, we see these big countries, companies coming out of their pilot phase and then being embraced by uh, the drilling companies, the oil companies, the bank, the, the financial uh, backing. And we see them proliferating on a, that, that basis, uh, on the project phasing basis. You know, we've done a project. Now we'll, we'll go and do two. Now we'll go and do four. And uh, we see that happening and being a ramp up period that starts to starts to really uh, accelerate post twenty twenty five. I'm looking at the at the uh, forecast uh, graph that you've got in your report: cumulative geothermal and megawatt uh, uh, megawatt thermal. Explain before we go any further. Explain megawatt thermal and geo and giga. Uh, 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 so thermal. You, you, you look at a, an organic ranking um, cycle machine and it converts at anywhere between 10 and 24% efficiency. So if you start with a gigawatt of heat, uh, you don't end up with a gigawatt of electricity. Um, but if you can use the heat either after you've made electricity or you can use the heat, just use it as heat, then, then you're effectively getting... Um, a much better economic uh, uh, return. So, what uh, what would be the efficiency uh, if you ran it through a, an organic Rankine cycle machine and then used it for heat? Are we talking? Uh, does the uh, efficiency it, go up significantly? Um, so, um, I, I'm not going to be. I'm not an engineer uh, by training. I'm uh, and I, I've never installed a, 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 an RC. Uh, so. You'd probably have to talk to some one of the geothermal companies, but I suspect that they would say that they use it either for um, electricity or for district heat. And most of these right now uh, are in pilot phases, 20, mega, 20 megawatt 
you know, there, there's one in the US, I think that's much larger than that, but most of them are, are in that kind of ballpark. And they are mostly going to provide electricity as a demonstration that it can be done and heat as an economic reason for its existence. We're getting back to this graph. Uh, it looks like around in 2050, you're forecasting uh, cumulative geothermal in megawatts to be about 350,000, and you're expecting exponential growth to be about um, in mid-2030s. Uh, what are the odds that we'll see uh, growth, uh, more, more rapid growth than that, as, as we've seen in, in some other technologies, you know, like EVs that, that uh, where the curve is sharper than, uh, than we had expected? So I think all of us that are forecasting energy think in terms of learning curves. What we don't often think in terms of are breakthroughs. Uh, if you take someone like Quay's Energy, um, Quay's, uh, um, they're a crazy bunch. They, they want to fire um, uh, uh, radio waves at, at uh, high power between 30 gigahertz and 300 gigahertz out the end of, um, of a, uh, uh, a, a drill um, that virtually melts the rock. Um, so instead of you breaking a, um, a drill bit every um, few days, you break you don't break any drill bits. Um, and they're talking about bringing that type of technology online in 2030. Now, that may never happen. Um, so it's not in my numbers. But certainly if, if something like that happens, um, th there will be a change in attitude. Um, that will be picked up quite rapidly. Um, and, and I've talked to them and their CEO, and, and I said this is surely a licensing opportunity. And he sees it more of a, a kind of, yes, a licensing opportunity, but via the, um, the oil industry who know what they're doing, rather than via his competitors. You know, it, it, certainly there's an attitude in North America right now, never licenses to China, uh, you know, but but you you would really because uh, you can't conquer China economically on your own. It's much better to license it to one of their giants. So it all depends on how that type of thing plays out. The numbers are put down are, are relatively conservative. If but the ingredient we are missing that I was talking about before, as more EVs happen, less oil is needed. As less oil is needed, less drilling is done. The, 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 the drilling companies get something like $90 billion a year out of drilling. Um, they'll be looking for a new business model. Um, and if, if oil falls by 5, 10, 15 percent by 2028 timeframe, um, it's, it's, drilling is going to be gone. You know, you'll be drilling to put uh, carbon under the sea or you'll be drilling to do geothermal. There, there won't be any drilling for oil and gas. Now, I know that's radical, and your, your audience may, may say I'm insane, but you just have to do the numbers on electric vehicles, uh, and, and that's what you end up with. Well, I was looking at uh, a Bloomberg NEF graph yesterday. They're, they're calling for 100 million uh, electric vehicles in the global fleet by 2025 or 2025. 26 and the I mean it is the 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 scale up in that industry 
Uh, Reuters ran a story a couple months ago about how the uh, automakers uh, are going to spend uh, $1.2 trillion by 2030 to switch over to elect manufacturing electric vehicles. The, I guess the point is that the, the technology now is commercial. It's being scaled up at a grand scale. The industry is, the auto industry is is fully on board. I get, we can see the forces converging here for geothermal, just as you say, now you've got, you're soon going to have drilling companies looking around for another model. You've got the, those companies plus major oil companies that have capital and expertise that will likely be deployed in this area. The, the, uh, the industries, the geothermal industry, while it may be nascent, is still uh, rife with innovation all sorts of other technologies that could be brought on that to, to accelerate this. And I, for instance, I interviewed a Texas company and they're not a closed loop, but they were using geo uh, existing oil and gas geophysical geoscience data to more accurately find pools of reservoirs of hot water. Yeah. And they use so, old, old wells as well. Yeah. yeah to, to, to uh, save themselves a load of drilling. Yeah. So there's, there are all kinds of approaches to this and, and it's happening at just the right time when there's capital chasing uh, these kinds of opportunities. Climate policy is going to be more restrictive. It has uh, forever technology. It has the advantage, they say, of being able to be located everywhere. I, I, this this just looks like it's going to be the next hot opportunity in the clean energy however, space. However, I'm just going to throw this curveball at you. The oil companies love a project. They think on project basis. Energy is thought on project basis for years. When we build solar panels, we don't think about a project. We just make the solar panel. When we build an electrolyzer, we don't think about a hydrogen project. We just make the electrolyzer. These Same for batteries. These are factories. If that idea can come to geothermal, if you can say there's a licensable opportunity, I can give it to this person for a share of the profits. You go away and, and contract separately with the owner of, of this project. I am just the provider of the intellectual property. I can move on to the next one and the next one. If we get that kind of gigafactory approach to this, it will happen in the scale that some of these people are talking about. And uh, and if innovation comes to drilling, it'll happen four or five times faster. I, I, th I would argue that there's a very, very good chance that innovation, uh, drilling innovation uh, is likely uh, just based on history. Uh, yeah. It's not that long ago. I, I I did my five years in the oil patch uh, here in North America from 2003 to 2008, and since I left, and I, and immediately after leaving the the industry because that wasn't really my my bag, I'm, I'm a journalist. Uh, that was the in the last 15 years, tremendous innovation in drilling, tremendous innovation. I mean, now we're to, you know back in the day you had a rig with six people on it and everybody worked on the floor of the rig we've all seen the photos and now the rigs have uh you know two guys working in a shack with joysticks and computers to manage the to manage the rig and and everything else is automated and and, and that's just on the surface you know that's just the the how the rig operates never mind what's going on down hole and the availability to crunch massive amounts of of, of data just Anyway, I would argue that that if you're thinking that drilling is science or drilling innovation is key to to the growth of geothermal, uh, I would I would put money on it. Uh, plenty of innovation taking place. I'm going to just throw yet another curveball at this. We had this in the um, in the cellular and fixed line market. Um, 
cellular companies suddenly became very rich because they they were seen as uh, their their growth potential was massive. Oil companies in this market are seen as very rich because their ability to drive profits uh, last year in particular is huge. If they do not um, pay off, pay down debt, if they do not spend that money going into geothermal, they won't have any money. Their, their, Their asset base will fall as the demand for oil, when the oil price starts to drop below $60 again and starts heading south, and it's on the back of uh, lots of EV sales, and uh, there's another event in here which we haven't tagged, which is um, the internal combustion engine cars were meant to stay at a certain level. They're not. They're 20% under that still. So there's no replenishment going on in in the ice market. So they're going to, the oil crunch happens sooner than anyone thinks. If the oil companies don't spend some of their money on this now, then potentially someone else will reap all the bills. Well, there's grist for another interview because what what will happen to oil companies in the near to medium term is a hot, hot topic of of conversation in in Canada. Canada is the fifth largest producer of oil in the world and most of that takes place in Alberta and which is the Texas of Canada. Uh energy media is part of that public conversation and so maybe what we'll do Peters will set up another uh interview in the near future to talk about that because I'm always looking for different perspectives on where oil is is going. But this has been fascinating. Uh, it looks like we've got a technology here that we, just, at the very least, need to keep an eye on because uh, there'll be lots of stuff happening in this space. So thank you very much for this. Thank you very much. I'll see you again. Bye. Bye.